0: Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Today marks the 10th anniversary of the LBJ play, All the Way, which premiered in Oregon, starring Jack Willis on July 28, 2012, before making its way to Broadway to win a Tony Award for Brian Cranston. I spoke to Pulitzer Prize-winning playwright Robert Schenken when he brought his LBJ sequel, The Great Society, to Arena Stage in 2018. We are here with Robert Schenken, the playwright of not only All the Way, which was here a couple years ago, but now the, let's call it the part two, Godfather (laughs) Two, the Great Society, uh, now at Arena Stage. Thanks so much for joining us, sir. Thank
1: you. It's great to be here.
0: When you you wrote this thing, All the Way, this was way before it was, you know, Cranston on Broadway and uh, before Rob Reiner had done LBJ, I mean... um, your your interest in in reevaluating um, lbj's legacy um I think kind of planted i think you planted a seed in society for us to kind of go back and re-examine it. What was it that made you
1: um, back then want to reopen that
0: that discussion and
1: well, I, uh, I grew up in Austin, Texas, and uh, in the Hill Country, so not very far from uh, where Leonard Johnson was born and raised. So it would be pretty hard to avoid Leonard Johnson in my childhood, uh, mm-hmm. uh, including the fact that my father uh, knew him in a, in a very small and um, fine way. My dad was a pioneer in public television and radio and had been hired to come to the University of Texas at Austin and create the first public television radio station really in the Southwest. And uh job number one was to go to then Senator Johnson and get his permission mm-hmm. because said radio television station would have been in direct conflict with his own media empire. Or should I say Ladybirds Media <laughs> Empire. <laughs> not because, to be confused with the other Lady bird. Because it was in her name. Um, and uh I'm uh pleased to say that he not only gave his permission but of course, as president, would go on to sign into law the bill that created the corporation for public broadcasting. So in my family growing up, he was a friend of the court, he was a good man. And uh, my parents were both liberal democrats, very supportive of integration. And um, you know, I remember that, uh, that election, 1964, LBJ Goldwater, and, uh, how it just felt, you know, Manichaean, forces of light against the forces of dark, and how thrilled we were with this landslide victory. And then just a year and a half later, with the troop levels in Vietnam having ramped up from 23,000 to one hundred sixty, hundred seventy thousand, 170,000, and my oldest brother now facing the draft, I had a very different feeling about LBJ. Was he actually drafted, or he was <clears throat> just the prospect He was not. Of it? Okay. He was not um, but... Uh, you know he was uh, he was eligible uh, fortunately he had a high number drew a high number uh, and was in college at the time um, so uh, you know I that's where I sort of got off the LBJ ship and then years later as a as an artist with a young family trying to make a go of it I became aware of the domestic programs that he had created which were actually extremely helpful to me and people like me people that i knew and i thought differently about him again so he's always been in my head as this really interesting truly shakespearean character not only big physically you know six foot four whatever two hundred and fifty pounds but big emotionally, big in his appetites, big in his virtues and his vices. Um, a, a Shakespearean character and someone who it seemed to me belonged on the stage. And um, and if you're gonna understand where we are today politically, I think you really need to understand LBJ. Uh, the, there are people who, who say, uh, uh, Joseph Califano Jr. Uh, among them that we live in the world that LBJ created and I think there's actually some truth to that so I um, when given the opportunity on this commission by the Oregon Shakespeare Festival to uh, actually the very first commission they offered for their American Revolutions project I said I wanted to write about LBJ and so began a very long process of uh, research and reading and uh, studying and thought culminating in all the way what all did
0: you, um, what all did you read? Was there a specific biography? Was
1: there old speeches you went back and watched? I'm sure all of the above. Uh, I, I read everything I, c- I could get my hands on, and there's a lot out there. Certainly, every major biography about uh, Lyndon Johnson and his his own writings, uh, major biography on everybody, every major player in his administration who appears in the play. Um, histories on the Vietnam War, histories on the Great Society um, a fairly comprehensive I cast a wide net and then I also uh, interviewed people I talked to people who had served in his administration I talked to family members Um, and um, and, uh, and then as you say there is a lot of footage extant from this period, television really comes into its own as a political force. Uh, and so there's a lot of, of that material available, as well as this is kind of the high point in American magazines Newsweek, Time, Look, Life. Right. Um, every major city had at least two newspapers. So there was a, a wealth of material to sort through. In that regard, you're almost.
0: Fortunate com- compared to if you were writing about you know a figure in the pre-TV era, you know you had a wealth of uh, sources at your disposal. Um, remind our remind our listeners. Let's say, let's say they didn't they missed all the way when it was here, or they saw it, but you know it's it's been a few years. Um, remind them, sort of, you know. How how that was part one exploring, you know, the trying to, you know, I guess it's it's after he's been elected and trying to pass the Civil Rights Act of 64, um, which is what the Reiner movie was about, too. Um, But then also and then how this is uh, kind of sort of the the, the part two of that, um, I guess, exploring the remainder of his administration, the civil rights movements heating up. King is, you know, on a fatalistic path himself, and Vietnam is ramping up so that he doesn't even run again.
1: Right. So, um, for, for those on, on your audience who, uh, who missed All The Way, All The Way, um, which won the Tony Award uh, in, in 2015, and then went Several on... Several Tonys, and, right? And, uh, yeah. multiple t- too, yeah. uh, best actor that season as well for, for Brian Cranston, and then went on to be a very successful Emmy-nominated uh, movie at HBO which I also wrote, uh, followed uh, the first term. Uh, Jack Kennedy is assassinated in Dallas and Vice President Lyndon Baines Johnson suddenly becomes president um, with a year before the next election. And the question on everybody's mind is what does Lyndon Johnson really want? Because Lyndon Johnson has played a very close political game all his life to the liberal democrats, he's a liberal, to uh, the southern Dixiecrats, he's a good old boy, but what does he really believe? And uh, to everyone's surprise, it turns out that what Lyndon Johnson really believes in is civil rights. And so all the way follows um, his pursuit of the 1964 Civil Rights Bill, which was a landmark bill, uh, really changed the country profoundly while he simultaneously pursues re-election and election as president in his own terms. He succeeds, but already uh, the seeds of um, the looming crisis have been planted in Vietnam as he's already begun to ramp up troop levels there and to lie to the American public about what's going on. Um, The Great Society follows his second term, November 1964, on the heels of his historic landslide victory over Barry Goldwater, uh, which gives him control of both houses of Congress, Um, uh, culminating four years later um, in his shocking public television announcement that he will not run again for office. It's the end of his career. So if you think about this in in classical terms, uh, classical theater terms, all the way is a drama, Mm -hmm. uh, and the Great Society is tragedy, um, in in which this uh, individual who inarguably does so much good um, domestically, um, Medicare, Medicaid, education, clean air, clean water – three historic civil rights bills m- multiple uh, appointments just uh, profound shifting of the society and vietnam um and uh you know it is uh, he knew at the time that uh his foreign policy was going to doom his domestic policy and yet he he continued to march forward and so it's it's so puzzling to to consider that a politician so skilled, so smart, so shrewd, um, could not find a way out of this box, mm-hmm. and uh, and the consequences of those decisions, of course, we live with to this day. It's it's really a tragic story it's one of those where if you'd come up with it as its own
0: to play uh, thing you'd be like oh that's far-fetched but it's truth is really strange like it wrote itself in a certain it's way true. You know?
1: and and of course there are such uh, amazing people uh, in this story uh, dr. King of course um, who w- finds himself um, you know the the highlight of his um, long-standing um Career seeking justice, uh, culminating in the 64 and 65 civil rights bills, and then the emergence of black power and the marginalization of the nonviolent movement. King comes out against uh, the war in Vietnam and is demonized in, very largely across the country and even within the civil rights movement. Uh, for doing so, and then is assassinated yeah. in Memphis uh Bobby Kennedy, who has uh really finds himself finally after wandering in the um, political desert, um, seemingly in place to take the democratic nomination and then he also is assassinated this time in Los Angeles uh, on the right, you have uh the shocking uh, rise of Richard Nixon, seemingly uh, out of the ash can of right. political history, and he will, of course, be, uh, be elected twice yeah. to president. Um, but this this is his rise again, and uh, in the South, George Wallace. It's an it's an extraordinary collection of of individuals, uh, powerful people. Uh, impassioned people um, in really desperate conflict. It's a very dramatic, chewy stuff. Pretty exciting. Lots to work with on your part. (laughs) Lots lots to work with, and uh, it makes for a really terrific evening in the theater.
0: Now, how long after um, All the Way did you begin putting pen to paper on this one was it always did you always conceive it as a, a two
1: play thing you know, I, I would have been very disappointed if we if i'd never been able to write what i can call a part two or mm-hmm. the second part uh... of this story and fortunately uh... even as i was actually writing all the way uh... i was commissioned by the seattle repertory theater to write uh... the great society And and honestly, when we won the Tony Award in uh, New York, the next day I and my director, Bill Rausch, flying back from um, New York City to Ashland, Oregon, um, going over our notes for a great society run-through to be held that week. That's how tight these things were. It was a very exciting time awesome. Um, no, we kind of we kind
0: of hit on um, for maybe listeners that missed it the first time. But let's say some of our, for our, but now for our listeners that did come out, they're in for a treat. It's a lot of the same cast. Jack Wills is back as uh, LBJ. Uh, Bowman Wright, who stopped into WTOP in studio last time around, and he he's back as MLK. Um, was there was there ever any doubt that you'd try to cast at least most of the same people? At, you know, to keep the same cast and how. I mean, is it a no-brainer? They enjoyed it so much the first time, they say, of course, anytime, anything you need, Robert.
1: Well, it's such a great ensemble of actors. They're such extraordinary, talented individuals. The, the challenge, of course, is that they're in demand uh, as a consequence. So you, you hope you can get them all back, uh, knowing that that's, uh, that's a, a long reach. But in our case, we were extraordinarily fortunate. I think everybody really wanted to be back, uh, and particularly in this ensemble headed by, as you say, Jack Willis, who originated the role of LBJ in both plays and is giving, I think, the performance of a lifetime. It's really amazing theater this performance you do not want to miss
0: what is it about Jack Willis's performance because we've seen I mean to do a little compare contrasting it doesn't have to be one's better than the other but just in different styles um let's say Cranston who I I assume I mean he won the Tony and so you work closely with him as well um versus Willis or even if did you check out Woody Harrelson's portrait too like kind of
1: Speak on sort of
0: the different approaches.
1: You know, I haven't, I haven't seen uh, the Woody Harrelson movie, although I'm very eager to do so. Um, obviously, I'm very familiar with, with Brian's uh, work, which uh, was fabulous and very justifiably honored. It's really hard to compare its apples and oranges. What I will say about Jack um, is that he brings a ferocity to the part and an intensity that is unrelenting, and in in this part two, essentially, in The Great Society, ultimately a vulnerability that's shattering. So, um, you know, Brian never got a chance to play right. The Great Society, and neither has Woody. So this, this is territory that Jack has really carved out on his own, and it is an extraordinary— I mean, it's a—the it, role is like Lear in terms of its size, what it demands of the actor. You rarely lead the stage— um, and the emotional demands are, are are extraordinary but Jack is just giving a magnificent performance don't don't miss this if you see one thing this year see Jack Willis in The Great Society that's that's high praise right there how about speak to to Bowman
0: Wright a little bit he actually before all the way was he played king previously here one time in a play called The Mountaintop then of course all the way. And now he's back for his, uh, I guess this is his MLK trilogy here. Um, what have you enjoyed uh, about watching his performance grow from the first time he did it here to now? Like, as, as you say, he and LBJ, uh, MLK and LBJ, were more
1: allies in the first one. and this one, there's a little more tension over the war. They split completely. Um, it's, a, it's a tragic thing what happens to them. Uh, we're so fortunate, Abelman. He's a, a phenomenal actor, And uh, I have seen a number of people uh, uh, play this part, of course. And uh, I think uh, what he brings here, there's such intelligence and uh, compassion uh, in in this role. You know, I think American audiences, uh, if they think about Dr. King, um, they, they either think of him as the orator or the martyr. And uh, what I have tried to do in the text here, and what Bowman so beautifully illuminates, is Dr. King, the politician. He was an extraordinary politician. If you consider the task he had in front of him, um, the civil rights movement was by no means a monolithic movement. It was very fractured and fractious, each group headed by a very charismatic. Very powerful men who did not uh, share power easily and somehow Dr. King found a way for many years um, to keep everybody more or less working in the same direction toward the same goal. And uh, that is the mark of a highly skilled, uh, very talented and extraordinarily hardworking and gifted politician. And, um, and uh, Beau just does a wonderful job with that, really bringing that to life here. Um,
0: I want to know more about you. Uh, take it all the way back. Was it, was it Carolina you grew up? Um, take me. I, I want to know how, you know, what theater or
1: film or books or whatever interests you as a kid and how you got into, you know, playwriting. I am, a, I am a Tar heel by birth, uh, but a uh, Texan by adoption. I grew up in Austin yep. uh, and I grew up and then went to school and went to college at the University of Texas. Um, my father uh, was a playwright and my mother was a professional actress before uh, they got married. So I grew up in a house full of books and full of plays and we went to the theater. So it was, seemed like a very natural thing um, to do. Um, I have been blessed uh, on occasion with a really extraordinary and important um, teacher. I guess one of the most important to me was was a a Polish uh, professor who taught at the University of Texas from 1971 to 1975 uh, when I was there from the National School in Warsaw. And uh, from her, I got the best piece of advice I've ever gotten as an artist and, and maybe as a human being. Um, I was an actor then, um, primarily, and um, my, uh, not a bad actor at all. But my problem was I could see the performance so clearly in my head, and then I would try to be that. I'd try to make every bit of it. And uh, it just used to drive her crazy. And, and I remember in one class I finished a scene and she just stood up and she said, Robert, Robert, you must leave something for God. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's, that's just such great advice, this, this notion that you cannot control everything. Right. Uh, on stage or, or off stage, and that one must make allowance, uh, one indeed must welcome in uh, the unanticipated, the unexpected. Um, so I uh, I started off uh, as an actor. I was going to be Orson Welles, act, write, and direct. Um, the <laughs> directing part n- never happened so much, but I did write from a very... Early age on, I lived in New York and Los Angeles and had a very successful career as an actor. But you didn't was, have a sled as a kid, do you? <laughs> 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 Named Rosebud. <laughs> uh, and uh, But um, it, the, the writing eventually began to take over, and then I wrote a play called The Kentucky Cycle, um, which, of course, went on to win the Pulitzer. Yeah. Uh, and the experience of that uh, was so deeply satisfying. I thought, you know, this is really what I should be doing. Let's, before we go further, let's remind our listeners about that a
0: little bit. Um, it, it sort of explored American mythology, Western mythology um, over a series of plays. Were you inspired by August Wilson's Pittsburgh Cycle, in, at least in the rollout?
1: This is actually, you know, uh, August has just written two plays at that point. It's early on in that Early cycle. on, and yeah. in fact, as an actor... I'm at uh, the O'Neill Center when his very first play, Mulroney, actually gets uh, a public staging. So he's he, he hasn't yeah, really right. begun to you know sort stretch, of happening at the same time, stretch yeah. his wings. So it's kind of happening at the same time. Um, it is a uh, it, it's nine short plays comprising six hours, normally produced in two parts, um, following the uh, uh, the journey of three fictional families in the eastern part of Kentucky from 1775 to 1975. So it's a very ambitious, epic kind of piece. As you say, a look at American myth-making. What is it in Liberty Balance when the legend becomes fact, print, print <laughs> the legend? A little bit of that? Something like that,
0: perhaps. <laughs> I love it. Um, and then beyond that, obviously, we... we between there and all the way you've done a lot too but uh even a little a little screen i mean you mentioned orson wells you've done a little screenwriting too hacksaw ridge the pacific um what draws you to i mean in here we're dealing with vietnam what you know it's what? what do you what draws you to not only the subject of war but you know re-examining these pivotal moments in our history
1: you know i i i couldn't tell you the the why of it uh, except that it pleases me it interests me i i i, I love history and would read it uh you know just purely for my my own pleasure I do think that it's important Uh, I I do think that that history is not something that that just exists in the past it lives through us continuously we are continuously informed by and uh, and moved by oftentimes in ways we we don't understand or not even conscious of by history and um, and I think it's it's so important to understand, in terms of being able to understand where we are, to understand where we've been. So
0: I'm with you entirely. I think the whole notion of time and past and present and future is is an illusion. Yeah. I think it's all happening right in front of our face. Past is prologue, and we're that's what's so great about arena is we get to grapple with this, that's and right. it's and it's alive, happening now. Right. I don't and, think it, I don't think it's something that existed in the past.
1: You know? And then there are such wonderful stories: uh, Hacksaw Ridge, uh, the true story of Desmond Doss. The, first conscientious objector to win the Medal of Honor. This is such, a, such an amazing story, uh, this, this individual struggle uh, of conscience and patriotism and, and the way in which he manages to, to bring them both together um, is so moving and so inspiring. Um So whenever I get an opportunity to tell a story like that i'm i 'm the first one to to jump on it. I enjoy writing film, I enjoy writing television. These are indeed how I pay my bills <laughs> um, but i but even if they didn 't I would still do it because of the opportunities it affords me uh, to tell a big story in a big way and and the opportunity to work with the people i 've had a chance to work with um, it 's you know I currently have a of four different movies any one of which or all of which could go into production this yeah. year so i'm you know i'm very excited about the Are you allowed the, to give us a little teaser the, the, the possibilities <laughs> well i i have a i have a movie about uh, vietnam called fall of saigon which is about america's last days literal last days in in vietnam um i have a, a movie i've written for uh, joseph gordon levitt uh um predicated on a little known but uh, very compelling uh, historical event when the seventh uh, cavalry threw down with the clan in yeah. south carolina uh... during reconstruction i'm writing a movie for uh, bob redford to direct uh... about the manhattan project uh and, uh... and i'm working on a contemporary piece about uh... high school sports in texas So, you know, it's a a wide range of uh, stories and events and people with a fantastic group of talented uh, artists. I consider myself very, very fortunate to, to do what I do and to be here in Washington today on the eve of the opening of The Great Society with Jack Willis. That's perfect. Uh, Just
0: sort of in closing, you you mentioned that TV and film sort of helps pay the bills, but then you love getting to come do stuff like this on the eve of this. What's it been like working with the folks at Arena? I mean, this is twice
1: with this material. Had you been here working with them in the past? Um, You know, I've known Molly Smith for a very long time, before she even arrived uh, at at Arena stage. And... um, uh, I have uh, had a number of pieces read here, developed here, been commissioned by the arena, and then now these two productions. Um, It's always a pleasure uh, to work at this theater. Um, I think it's, uh, you know, they have such a strong aesthetic, such high uh, standards, and the people are just so pleasant to work with. Very professional Uh, collegial group, and um, to do these plays about politics, about presidential politics, and ongoing foreign wars at this moment of time here in Washington, D.C., in front of Washington audiences, who I think are the equal of any audience in terms of sophistication anywhere in the world, is a real thrill. Absolutely. Well,
0: if it's a thrill for you, it's a real thrill for us. So, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. This was
1: great. Pleasure to be here.
0: Thanks so much for listening to Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Our theme music is Scott Buckley's Clarion. Remember to give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time.